Uh, okay. Hello. Welcome to this B-side of Breast Cancer is Boring. This is Jocelyn. It's Friday, and this Wednesday, I will be having reconstructive surgery. I will be getting a deep flap procedure. It is a six to eight hour surgery where the fatty part of my tummy will be cut out, the skin, the fat, some blood vessels, and then they fold it up and they put it in my boob pocket. And that makes a breast. And then, because now there's a big hole in my abdomen, uh, muscle, I imagine, is visible at this point, and it's just kind of sitting there, open, which is something I've begun to fixate on. And then they pull the skin from the upper portion, down, 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 until it meets the skin of the lower portion, and then they suture it together. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a real tight situation down there. My left breast, which has done nothing to me, is getting a little upgrade. They're going to put a traditional implant in that one so that it matches the right new breast, which I don't know what size that's going to be. No one does. It's kind of just going to be the size that it is depending on how much fat I have in my belly, which I am five, five and three quarters and my fighting weight, I'm 125, hoping that I bring all of my 125 pounds to this surgery. Been very vigilant about not losing any weight, um, which is not usually something I have to worry about losing weight. That's not me. <laughs> But it's been kind of nice not having to worry about gaining weight, you know. I've been eating whatever the hell I want, and I've been loving this little fat pouch I have on my belly, which is not an experience I can admit to ever having before. So it's kind of nice. Um... About six weeks ago, I got the date for my surgery and almost immediately started fixating on the surgery and worrying about a number of things. And so I would just like to document for you all this entire journey I'm on starting from today and then with any luck checking in at regular intervals throughout the process to give you some real-time feedback on what it is like to get a deep flap procedure because let me tell you in my anxiety-fueled internet googling I cannot find what I am looking for I cannot find the pictures I'm looking for I can't find anyone talking about it in the way that I'm looking for I am dissatisfied with the available resources. So this is me trying to create that. I will put pictures on the website. Hopefully I'm brave enough for that. I think I am. We shall see. Um, and I'm also anticipating this is going to hurt like a motherfucker. So I will be as real about that as I possibly can. 
So right now, six days before surgery, I'm not totally freaking out anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm like talking myself through it. I've met with my surgeon. We've talked about the surgery. I met with my oncologist. He's like, go for it. I've had my tissue expander filled twice now. It is tight and uncomfortable. And when Lauren complains about how uncomfortable her tissue expanders were, I think I finally get it. Lauren, I never got it. And now I do. Can't wait to get this thing out. I'm looking forward to getting this port out. I'm looking forward to the operation being done and me waking up uh, alive is a thing I think about. But since getting the second TE fill and having my pre-op visit and getting everything in place, I feel better. I, I think I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling fine. I'm distracting myself <laughs> a lot. So here's the, some things that I've done so far to prepare for this situation. Some of these things may end up being very meaningful and then others may end up meaning nothing at all. But here's what I've done. Obviously, I've had all the visits. I've gotten my visit with my plastic surgeon, the two fills of my tissue expander, creating a very uncomfortable situation. I have gone to the hospital where I will be admitted and had my pre-op visit where I signed a litany of consents and got blood work, got my packets of HibaCleanse, with the instructions of everything I'm to do with that before I show up for my surgery on Wednesday, which is scheduled for a cut time or an OR time of 0700, which means I have to be at the hospital at 5.30 in the morning, which should be no issue since I don't plan on sleeping the night before. I mean, I'd love to, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I have obviously set up short-term disability and FMLA with my job. My husband, because I am lucky enough to have a husband who can take off time from work and take care of me, it has done the same with his job. And we've gotten the plastic surgeon's office to fill out those forms. Still with me? This is some pretty dry stuff, but I'm trying to be thorough here. I have thought about what I'll be bringing with me to the hospital. In fact, today I went to Target, and even though they are all out of hand sanitizer because people are losing their minds over the apocalypse that is the coronavirus, they did have pajamas there, which is what I went for anyway. I bought a pair of pajamas to wear to the hospital because I really can't stand the idea of being in a hospital gown the whole time. So I bought a pair of like satin looking (laughs) pajamas. The top is a short sleeve top that is buttoned down the front. I highly recommend buttoned down the front. If you want to wear something in the hospital, it's just, especially if you're having surgery to your chest and abdomen, it's just going to be a lot more convenient for your caregivers to get where they need to go while allowing you to, you know, be an individual and not wear the hospital gown, which is probably their preference. I bought a pair of little, like nice billowy pajama 
shorts and pajama pants. And the set came with a little eye mask, which I intend to use, even if it just is for looks. I think that would be super fun and give the impression that I'm bougier than I actually am, which is something I like to do for reasons that I'm sure I will get to eventually with my therapist. So I've got that. I've got reasonable expectations about staying in the hospital for two or three days. I'm resigned to that fact. I will work hard. I will try to not complain. I'll be realistic about my pain goal. I will not have zero pain. I will have a good amount of pain. In fact, the pain is something that I think about a lot. Because I just, I don't know. I do not know if I'm a person that has a high pain tolerance or not. There have been times where I've thought, I have a really high pain tolerance. Like, I'm, I'm good, I'm tough. And there have been other times where I'm like, I really don't do well when I'm not comfortable. So, God only knows. But, um, yeah, that's that. I have bought all the over-the-counter medications that I think I may need. This includes... Tylenol and Aleve, or for some it may be Tylenol and Ibuprofen. Um, Don't start taking them until your doctor says it's okay. You will have additional medications to take home. I anticipate they'll send me home with some narcotic mixed with a Tylenol type thing, Uh, like Percocet, Norco, those are a oxycodone or hydrocodone and Tylenol hybrid medication. But I also did request a medication called Tramadol because I got Tramadol for my port placement and I had virtually no pain. I didn't really have to take it even with the port placement. That wasn't a painful procedure. It was just a little uncomfortable. Um, but with my mastectomy, the Percocet, I took it for a couple of days, but I did not like the way it made my stomach feel in particular, and it constipated the hell out of me. And having a rather large abdominal incision and being constipated, I feel like it's going to be a recipe for disaster. So I got tramadol because when I stopped taking the Percocet, when I had my mastectomy, I went to the tramadol I had left over from my port placement, and it actually worked far better than the Percocet ever did at controlling any of the pain that I had. So I, I knew that that was something... I liked and that worked for me so I asked for it. It's a non-narcotic so you can take it with the Percocet. Shouldn't be an issue. My doctor is also going to give me a muscle relaxer. Like, uh, well I don't know what kind she'll give me. There's a few that I could name off but that means nothing because I don't know what they're going to do but muscle relaxers are great for this kind of thing in particular with breast implants because you can have like breast muscle contractions as a result of getting breast implants, things I never knew. Uh, so yeah, that's the plan as far as pain um, management. I bought a wedge from Amazon. And if you just search on Amazon or wherever you prefer to get your products from, memory foam wedge, this should come up. I will have to be sleeping on my back for four weeks, thus the wedge because I will also not be able to stand fully erect for at least four weeks. 
I've talked to my people at work uh, and other friends that I have, and I have asked for specific things. I have one friend, very kind person, who's going to make me Spanakopita because that's what I wanted, and she's going to make it for me, and I'm going to put it in my freezer, and then we can eat that whenever. I've got a couple other friends making me things. I've got another good friend making me chicken casserole and zucchini bread. Well, her mom's making it, but that's essentially the same thing, you know, just making it happen, essentially. Um, My mom's going to bring me lasagna, so food is important, and it was important for me to line up food because my husband is the one who cooks in the family, and he probably wouldn't ask people to make food, and he would just do it himself, and I don't feel like he should have to do that if he's also taking care of me. He needs to have a little bit of a break as well. The other thing I have, and this is important, is I have three Xanax pills waiting for me. They've been waiting for me for about a year now because they're left over from the five I was given when I was scheduled for my mastectomy and couldn't stop fixating on any number of things that can go wrong. Um, So... I took one Xanax, one milligram, the night before my surgery, and then I took one milligram Xanax the morning of my mastectomy. And and then I knew then that I would save the remaining three for my reconstructive surgery. And here we are. And I plan to take one the night before my surgery, the morning of my surgery, and then maybe give one to my husband. That's what I'm thinking. And that is important because I'm freaking out a little bit. I, I have started to fixate on a number of things. So let's talk about that. First thing I'm fixating on, the incision they make is from hip bone to hip bone. And it's like this God, I don't know how to describe this shape because math and shapes and things, but basically it's an incision hip bone to hip bone, umbilicus to just above like the pubic area. But what I keep fixating on is that moment after they pull out the fat and the skin and the vessels, am I just laying on the table with like this hole in my stomach? Like if you look down, can you see like straight to my muscle? How long does that hole stay there? When are they going to like sew it up? Because I imagine they're going to take that stuff and like put it in my boob and that's going to take some time. That's a microvascular surgery. And so like, are there two teams of people? One team of people uh, attending to the incision and the placement of tissue in my breast and then a secondary group of people who are sewing up my abdomen where is my plastic surgeon is she on the top or on the bottom does that matter I don't know but I just keep fixating on this moment when I'm laying there with a hole in my stomach when they're trying to make my stomach my boob and then when do they make my stomach my stomach again and then at some point in all of this they have to make me another belly button Uh, 
and get an implant in there. So I don't know. I guess this is why it's like a six to eight hour surgery. So that's the uh, first thing I'm concerned about. Like what if someone drops something in there? I don't know. The second thing I'm worried about is the urinary catheter. I don't want a urinary catheter. I know I have to have one. It makes no sense not to have one. And I'll have to have it probably for like all of surgery day and all through the next day, I think, is what they told me. Uh, Not looking forward to that. Didn't really pee straight for quite a few days after having a urinary catheter before. Things were just like super sensitive down there. And anytime you would go to like urinate, things would like clamp up and nothing was getting out. Uh, I'm worried about never standing up straight again. Like what if my skin just doesn't stretch and uh, I'm deformed for life? Uh, I'm worried about obviously something going wrong. The flap not taking and dying uh, inside of my boob. And then having to remove this dead tissue out of my chest. I'm worried about, mm, oh, I have kind of a cold right now, which is why maybe I sound a little, you know, sexier than normal. Uh, I have a cough, really. And it's just a common cold. It's a normal cold, I assure you. Uh, But it has moved down into this like last stage of this cold that everyone I know has had where it's about coughing and I worry about them uh, after intubating me, after putting the breathing tube, not being able to get me off of the breathing tube somehow. Like somehow the cough that I have is worse than I think it is. And when they try to extubate me, I'm not able to breathe on my own because my lungs are so riddled with infection that I thought was just a cold and now I'm on a ventilator and I wake up in the ICU with someone screaming at me to squeeze their fingers. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I. that's where I'm at. I know things will probably be fine. I know my surgeon has done like 500, more than 500 of these surgeries. She does them all the damn time and she's good at them and I know that it would be atypical if something were to go wrong that things don't usually go wrong statistically speaking I should be fine but historically statistics have not been on my side and so that makes me nervous as well Yeah. I'm just ready to get this over with. I am more than ready to get this over with. So. And with that, I think I'm finished. I will check back in. If anything special happens. Otherwise, I will see you probably three days post-op. So, later. Okay, it is Sunday, 
the Sunday before my surgery, which is Wednesday, I have a cold, I think. I am coughing. I am blowing copious amounts of neon-colored mucus out my nose, um, which normally wouldn't bother me that much. Uh, I think this will run its course and go away. I'm just now getting very anxious about the idea of coughing and blowing my nose with a large abdominal incision, and that is making me this is, this is doing bad things to my preoccupation with the idea that they won't be able to extubate me after my procedure, which I think is completely unreasonable to think. Like, there's no reason why. All of this is really, it's really ridiculous. But I had a lot of plans before this surgery. I was going to clean the whole apartment. I was going to set up all this it really doesn't matter now I have a cold and I am going to take it easy so that I don't pop my stitches in a coughing fit or blowing chunks of neon globules out my nose uh that's it just thought I would check in with some of those self-involved thoughts. With that, I'm going to go take a nap. Hello. Well, it is post-op day 11 because I'm not great at this. And also I blame Percocet a little bit. Uh, Don't have a lot of memory from the days when I was on narcotics, so which weren't that many. So, post-op day 11, the body situation that I'm in now is that I have one uh, JP drain left. I had three post-op. I also had, well, we'll go over that in a minute, but what I have right now is one JP drain, not draining a whole lot. I've got this very large abdominal incision that I was afraid of for so long, but really... It's uh, it's not that bad, and it's really thin, and it, it looks a little gnarly. It does, and do I worry about stretching it the wrong way because I do not have the ability to stand up straight at this point? Um, yes, I do, but I've also got two incisions, one under each breast. The left breast is just a basic implant, so that incision is much smaller, and then, of course, the right breast is the is my stomach folded up in there and it is bruised as hell but it's changing colors it's like a mishmash of sunset colors all kind of mixed together and it's changing so the sun is setting on my right breast and someday it'll just look like normal human skin there's also kind of a buckshot of different cuts, scrapes, bruises, and blisters uh, over the front side of my torso. Don't know what that's all about, but I imagine it has something to do with the pure trauma of stretching my skin down that far uh, when I don't have a whole lot of it to begin with. And uh, my favorite part, though, is this port scar. 
I'm really happy about that because there's no port in there. And that is a good feeling. Um, I'm putting alternating bacitracin and aquifer on all of these uh, little bruises, not bruises necessarily, but the blisters and the incisions to keep them, my favorite word, moist. So doing that and trying to get up and walk around multiple times a day. Uh, surgery day was fine. I was sick. I had a cough. Uh, no fever though. Nothing serious. Just a plain old virus. I uh, couldn't breathe out of my nose and I had a really bad cough. When I came out of surgery, my nose was completely clear, but I did still have that cough and that cough lasted for the first week at least of post-op and it hurt like the dickens every time I coughed and and I think adding to the pain was a sense of anxiety that I was coughing my incision apart so much so that when my doctor came in on inpatient day three so post-op day three I was still in the hospital she was going to discharge me she offered to take the wound back off my abdominal incision and I said no and she said, really? She said, you can keep it, you know, until a week post-op, we'll take it off then. And I explained to her, I've got this cough. Every time I cough, I, I'm anxious about dehissing this incision. And I think if we leave the wound vac, then we'll have some extra guarantee that it won't go anywhere. She said, you're not going to cough that incision open either way, but I'll leave it on if that's what you want. So thank you, doctor, even though you were probably right letting me have my little freak out moment. So I went home with all of that. I think I took Percocet for the first two or three days at home and then I just stopped it. I don't like that stuff. I get super constipated. Um, so I've been using Tylenol, Tramadol, and Flexeril pretty much around the clock. And then just today I've switched to Tylenol and Aleve only. You have to wait a while before you can use Aleve and you don't have to wait this long normally but my labs were kind of funky but I found out on Friday they changed a lot. Um, more on that in a moment but everything was fine. I didn't cough my incision apart. I did get super constipated and my friend uh, who is very adept at these kinds of things brought me uh, these Fleet's medicated enemas. I should know what the medication is. I just didn't care at that point. I just needed things to move out of me. I'd been on Colace and Miralax for nearly a week at that point, And I needed things to move. Because this was the Tuesday after my Wednesday surgery. So I shot that thing up my asshole and held it in as long as I could. And then basically hit pay dirt for the next three days. So that's resolved now. That's good. Uh, <laughs> I had a follow-up visit with my physician last Wednesday My with my plastic surgeon. They took off the wound vac and two JPs were taken out. That's virtually painless. You can barely feel it. Um, then on Friday, I went to see my oncologist and saw the nurse practitioner and discovered that my hemoglobin, which is a measure of the oxygen-carrying component of your red blood cells, was 7.5. So that's pretty low. It's the lowest I've ever been. 
My blood pressure was like in the 80s over 40s. So they got a little nervous. Um, they didn't like that at all. They didn't like how tacky my heart rate was, which is to say it was very fast. So on Saturday, which was yesterday, I had to go and get two units of blood. Never gotten blood before. And they had to start an IV because I don't have a port anymore. And I was very proud of myself. I was very proud to say, I don't have a port anymore. So you'll have to stick me. Thanks for the blood. Uh, hopefully that will help in some way. What I can say though is, so my JP drain is put out a little bit more than it has been, which is understandable. I've got more fluid, you know, kind of flying around in my body. The other thing is, is I, I got a little tighter and I think I think my edema in in my front here in my torso uh, got a little bit more pronounced. So let's talk about this edema. In addition to the bruising, the blisters, <laughs> the drains and the incisions on the front of your torso, there's also this, the tightness that is literally from pulling your skin down, but also from fluid collection right underneath your skin. And the only way I can describe this is it's as... Have you ever worn like shapewear or a, a corset, like bra of some kind where it's like, and then you put a t-shirt over it and that's, and you kind of feel it under the the shirt. It's like wearing that only the skin is the t-shirt. Your skin is the t-shirt. It, it, it feels like there's something under my skin, kind of like a, like binding me and, and keeping me tight basically to where I can't uh, stand up straight. I can't straighten my back all the way. It's the only way I can think of to describe it. But that can last for three to six months. And some of it even can last a full year, I guess, which is crazy to me. But okay. I've been sleeping on my back, which is difficult. I sleep with a wedge that I got on Amazon. It was on the highest setting, like the most straight up and down setting for the first week. And now we've put it on a lower setting because I'm able to do that. And I have a pillow behind my head and a pillow underneath my knees for the first week. And uh, I mean, up until a couple days ago, every time I had to get up in the middle of the night to pee, which is a couple of times for me, uh, my husband has had to help me to the restroom. He also puts out my medicine because you don't want to go to sleep and wake up eight hours later with no medicine on board. My recommendation is if you're having pain with this, which you will have pain with this for at least the first week or two, is to have little Dixie cups of your medicine set out for you. You can write the times on them if you want, but figure out when through the night you can take your meds according to the schedule, how often you can take them and set alarms on your phone and wake up and take those meds and go back to sleep. Because like I said, you do not want to wake up at seven in the morning and be expected to get yourself out of bed having no pain medicine on board. That is going to hurt like a motherfucker. And you do not want that. You want to avoid that if you can. I've got to say, my pain has been really well controlled through all this. I was prepared for 
incredible pain. I've not had incredible pain. I've had, absolutely I have had pain in this abdominal incision and there's two spots in particular where a couple of times I think I moved the wrong way. And I remember these were, this was predominantly in the hospital when I was having to move a lot uh, early on. And they, it was like this sharp stabbing pain in those two areas. But that happened maybe two or three times and then it never happened again. So I don't know what that was about, but that was a deep, like white hot pain. And then it went away. So there's that. And now I don't really feel that. The pain that I feel is more of a, like a soreness. It's kind of a dull pain. It's like a stretching sensation. There's not really a lot of pain, which again is why I've stopped the Flexeril and the, the tor, uh, Tramadol. Sorry, Toradol is a very different thing. Tra- tramadol and am switching to Aleve and Tylenol alone and we'll see how that goes because uh, I just tried it today, so, but, um, what else can I say? Uh, I, I can kind of see how my body is going to look, and I'm not sad about it. I think it's going to look great. I've got, you know, the one breast that we put my stomach in, but then I do have this other breast that we did nothing to except put an implant in. So I've got a traditional implant in this left breast and ooh, boy, does that boob look good. Oh my God. It's so funny because the rest of my torso looks like a some kind of like war torn area. Like it's been through a battle maybe for like years. And these are like all the scars and, and discolorations that are left and it's going to take it some time for it to recuperate. And then you've got this absolutely perfect shaped like perfect shape, perfect skin, like breast on the left is just, it kind of sticks out like a, well, like a beautiful implant boob, really. I've just never had that. So it's very interesting to have a breast that's like filled out. So I like it. And I imagine this other one will look similar when it's done, you know, being every color of the sunset right now. Yeah, high hopes, high hopes for this body, but, um, yeah, what else can I tell you? I took a shower. I've taken two showers. Uh, I wasn't supposed to. I was told I couldn't shower until this, until two days after this JP drain comes out, but people, I can't, I, I can't do it. So what I did was I covered the JP drain site, the part where it goes into my body with press and seal, uh, like cling wrap press and seal, but the press and seal kind. And then I put, I taped over it cause I had some tape in our, uh, first aid kit. So I just taped around the border. I left the bottom untaped though, because you know, water is not going to splash up into it. Probably I'm not taking a bath or anything. And then I got into the shower with a washcloth and I had my husband, because I can't reach over my head yet, aim the shower head to where it was kind of aiming away from me, like kind of against the the wall. And I just used that running stream of water. I didn't stand under it. I just used it to wet my washcloth. And then I got soap on there and got good and, you know, 
washed up, which on these areas that are scabbed, I mean, you should never scrub, obviously, any incision. You should just pat it. Just nice, good padding motions. And then I rinsed the washcloth out, got it really good and saturated with water, and then would squeeze the water out like over my body to rinse it. Never standing under the stream though. So it was kind of a shower, but not totally. And then yesterday I just hit my limit with my hair and had to wash it. I mean, it's short and it's curly and that is helpful in general when you're talking about going two weeks without washing it, but I wasn't sure how else we could wash it. So I just stuck my head in under the running stream of water and got it shampooed and conditioned that way. And that worked. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I've been trying to completely ignore my right arm. I just ignore that I even have one because that's the deep side and I'm not supposed to do anything with that arm. It's very difficult. And then my left arm, you know, I've been like, you know, plugging in the microphone, holding the microphone, typing with it, uh, feeding myself with it. So yeah, there's that. But there's just been a lot of things that have surprised me um, throughout all this. The bruising, I wasn't didn't know it would be quite so profound. The random blood blisters, I didn't realize that I would have. Um, I also developed this rash on my chest for some reason. I uh, don't know what that was from, but it's fading now. So I imagine it was some medication that my body was not accustomed to getting. Um, tape residue everywhere. There is tape residue. They just had me taped to every possible surface, I guess. I mean, it's everywhere and it does not come off. Um, but ask your doctor for uh, adhesive removal wipes. They've got them in the hospitals. They've got them potentially at your doctor's office too. So ask about adhesive removing uh, little wipes. They look like the little alcohol wipes that they use, you know, to clean off your the end of your port so that they can give you an infusion. They look like that, but they're for that like gross gray black looking in, in like uh, tape residue lines that you always get. Um, <clears throat> back pain, I was not prepared for my back to hurt as much as it does, but it hurts just from that holding myself up in this strange posture. So I use that heating pad pretty often on my back. I had read that, but I, I just didn't realize how profound it would be. Upper back, mid back, lower back, all of it. Um, my feet and my ankles swole up. I, I mean, they were pretty fat. They looked like little fat feet and ankles. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I talked about the abdominal edema and feeling like you're wearing a corset under your skin, which is oh, also a kind of a creepy thing to think about. Um, also, I didn't know on this breast uh, for the deep flap procedure there it's a it's a clean kind of incision across the bottom, like in a traditional implant, except for kind of longer. But then there's this little spot this like triangle, um, like a window, and the tissue that is inside your breast is is visible in this window. It's like you're touching the tissue inside your breast on this window, and there's like a little tiny incision that goes a little ways up my breast. And I guess that was for the tissue monitor they had on me. They had like 
an oxygen monitor on my tissue to make sure that it was getting oxygen basically because if it stops getting oxygen or it doesn't get enough it will die and they'll have to take that out so I I didn't know I would have like this little triangle window it's very small and you can't see it unless you're looking for it but that that is really interesting and then the other thing I didn't anticipate is how dry my mouth would be I I've been drinking so much water because my mouth feels so dry. It's like total cotton mouth. And it's really annoying. Um, very difficult. You can probably hear it. Actually, ugh, it's probably awful listening to this because of how dry my mouth is. And you can drink as much water as you want. It's still dry as hail. Uh, God, what else can I tell you? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you except that having this surgery the entire experience of that first week post-op that I was so afraid of, of that first moment when I have to get up and get to a chair, um, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And honestly, I have very little memory of it right now. And again, I don't know if that was the Dilaudid or the Percocet or, you know, whatever other medication they had me on, but I had lovely nurses in the hospital. They were very patient with me moving. I did everything I was told, and it was fine. It wasn't comfortable, and at times it was painful. And now it's done. And I don't remember it that well. I don't have, like, I don't know, this horrifying memory. It wasn't traumatic for me, I don't think. It was just you know, less than ideal, uncomfortable, uh, wasn't, they wouldn't let me go home until I had a bowel movement. (laughs) So they did have to give me a suppository and I've never had anyone else shove anything up my ass, uh, ever. So that was a different experience as well. Not my favorite, but it did, um, it did lend some results. I don't think it was quite the result they were looking for, but, uh, I was ready to go home. So I went in there and like got the smallest of bowel movements to move out of me. I'm talking like a goat pellet. And then I flushed quickly and I was like, success. (laughs) And they took my word for it and I was able to go home and I suffered two more days of constipation until my friend brought me a medicine that actually worked. And uh, yeah, so that's been working ever since. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, little stuff like that. Peeing after having a catheter, I had trouble again. Uh, Couldn't pee very well. Didn't feel like I was emptying my bladder all the way. That takes a couple of days, three, maybe four at the most days to resolve. And now it's fine. Um, Peeing like a champ. I was not hungry after surgery. I was not hungry at all for days, like up until even now I'm not hungry like I usually am and I think part of that is just being uncomfortable but in the hospital my mouth was so profoundly dry they gave me a cracker and like the cracker I put it in my mouth and it instantly soaked up any moisture that I had in my mouth and so I couldn't swallow it and I couldn't spit it out like it was just stuck in there so I was drinking water just to like get this cracker out of my mouth so I found that really the only thing I could eat because my mouth was so dry were smoothies. And my friends, God bless them, 
they would come visit me and they would say, what can I bring you? And I'd say, bring me a smoothie because it's already wet. It's got a lot of good stuff in there for you. So smoothies were my meals for a couple of days there in the hospital. And certainly the, the first thing I wanted when I got home and it really got me through quite a bit because I don't know, I think it's, it must be, again, the narcotics that make your mouth so dry. You can't, you can't eat normal food. It's like stuck in your mouth. And I've just never had that happen before, but just be aware you're going to want wet things, soups and smoothies and things like that potentially if you have the same uh experience that i did uh <clears throat> sorry clearing my throat into the microphone that's great what else can i tell you i don't know it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be great but it's not gonna be that bad and give yourself some time and like I said I'm not even two weeks post-op I can't stand up straight I've got this gnarly scar across my abdomen I've got only one boob that really looks like a boob this other one is kind of working its way again through multiple stages of existence there's a lot of ground I have left to cover in this but right now I am not in pain not really I'm a little uncomfortable I can't leave my house I look like an old woman going from room to room, but that's really not that bad. And all of those things will resolve. So we shall see. We shall see. And now I'm going to go fail a nursing statistics quiz and uh, I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Bye-bye. All right, people. It is post-op day 16 today. So, a little bit over the two-week mark, and I am feeling okay, even though the world is upside down. I am feeling incredibly fortunate that I got my surgery when I did, right before there was a need to save hospital beds for people affected by COVID-19, this thing that is sweeping the world and sequestering us all in our apartments and homes but I feel like I planned a quarantine for myself because of my surgery and now everyone else is doing it and I kind of have a leg up because I had planned to be in my apartment for the most part for at least a month and a half two months however this is really taking most other people by surprise and I hope that everyone is being safe out there part of being safe is we talk about this on the podcast a lot but trusting reliable sources for your information because there's a lot of sources for information out there about this virus but I would encourage you to go to reputable sources like the CDC website um yeah, that's about it. Just what does the CDC recommend? And it's basically don't go near anybody if you can help it. Work from home if that's a privilege that you enjoy. And wash your hands and don't touch your face. That's basically it. Please don't hoard all the milk. 
uh, and the toilet paper from the stores. I don't understand this personally. I do not understand that at all. It shows a complete lack of thoughtfulness for people like myself who need hand sanitizer as part of our daily routine because we don't have a, an actual immune system. And there's tons of people out there, not just cancer patients or people undergoing active chemo at this time who need things like masks and gloves and yes, toilet paper and hand soap and hand sanitizer, but also, you know, food like milk and bread. And, and these are things that most grocery stores, at least around us are completely out of. Um, so if we could all stop doing that, stop hoarding things that I think that would be great. I think we can be better than that. So, but as far as my recovery from this deep flap procedure, once again, I feel so incredibly lucky. I'm so lucky that I got to have an elective procedure when I did and that I have been essentially quarantined ahead of the wave and I feel safe that way, I guess. Um, I had a two-week follow-up visit with my uh, provider over FaceTime where I just showed her all my incisions and she said everything looked good. I still had a JP drain in and I told her that I've, I've removed a ton of JP drains in my tenure as a nurse. Have I done it in the last three years? No, but I think I can remember. And uh, I convinced her to let me pull it out myself and she said that would be fine. So I went ahead and I did that last night with the help of my long-suffering husband and partner in this <laughs> uh, cancer journey we've been on. He can't actually watch me pull the JP out. He can't watch them pull it out because it grosses him out how much of the tubing is actually inside my body, which it varies, but it can be up to like a foot inside your body. And this one, for sure, it was at least... 12 inches uh, in my body. It was my left hip uh, was kind of the exit point for the JP drain. And based on the way that it felt when I pulled it out, it doesn't hurt. And I've had enough JPs pulled out of my body to know that it wasn't going to hurt. So I wasn't particularly worried about that. Um, and I did everything very methodically and very clean. I um, had I had alcohol prep pads that I cleansed um, these nail scissors with and then my tweezers and I used that as a suture removal kit. And then I took a Telfa pad, which is like a gauze pad, but it has no fibers. It's non-adherent. It's, um, it's, it's just a good thing to have as a contact layer for any dressing, especially if there's any um, uh, like weeping out of the wound or if it's like, uh, my favorite word, moist because it will absorb moisture without um, adhering to the skin so that it's easy to take off. So I took a Telfa pad and I put bacitracin on it and then I had uh, my husband hold it over the opening and he just had to hold it and close his eyes and then I pulled the JP out and it was all fine and that thing 
I think was tunneled all the way up like across my abdomen to my midline and then like halfway up to my chest. That's where it felt like it was coming out of. It was a very strange sensation that I've had before, but like I guess maybe augmented by the fact that I was pulling it out myself. But I didn't dislike the sense of control in that. And again, it it wasn't really painful. It was just a strange... Uh, sensation and I was I was glad when it all came out and it's been totally fine uh, since last night the opening looks fine and it'll close up in the next couple days and no worries so I got no drains on me and that is such a good feeling when you finally get rid of the drains it's like you're a whole new person I feel like I feel liberated I am almost almost standing up straight I'm not pushing it because again when I followed up with my provider over FaceTime she told me that of all the deep flap procedures she has done this is my plastic surgeon's um, nurse practitioner that I saw uh, which is very normal for a follow-up visit to see the nurse practitioner and I see her all the time and, and she's in the OR with the physician so she's you know, partners with the physician in doing these. And I know she's done hundreds. And she told me that I was probably the tightest deep flap they've ever done. (laughs) And uh, I can attest to the fact that it feels quite tight. And I know, I know I'm going to stand up straight. I know I am someday. And I'm nearly there, but I'm not going to push it because I need to understand I'm not on the same timeline as maybe some of the people that I know who said I was standing up straight within two weeks. That's just not going to happen for me. And I need to be okay with that and not use anything but my own progress as a marker for achievement, essentially. So my goal is to be very comfortably standing up straight and sleeping without the use of pillows under my knees or an incline on my back by week four and I think that's a very reasonable expectation and part of that for me has just been if I'm I don't sit for more than an hour at a time and I get up and walk around and very gently ease myself into an upright posture and walk around like that because it's funny you'll stretch out in the morning like I can shower now so I'll be in the shower by the end of my shower I'm pretty much as straight as I'm going to be for that day and then you sit down for 45 minutes to do in my case either watching tv or having a phone call or doing my homework oh my god this class I'm in I do not understand why I struggle so much with math I hate that about I hate how stereotypical it is that a woman would struggle with math and it makes me want to be good at it so much but I am not I am not innately gifted with understanding the way that math works and I don't think that has anything to do with me being a woman. I think it just has to do with me <laughs> being the person that I am and probably not taking the time to really get into it when I was younger possibly because culturally it's not something that's prized in women but you know all that aside to all that to say 
I am just so frustrated by how much work I actually have to dedicate to this class. And also I feel incredibly lucky that I'm able to take this class while I'm recovering and I have the time to give to it. Like I, I just feel really lucky in so many ways. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I am. And I don't know why. Because I, I don't feel like it's been earned necessarily, but I'm just feeling really fortunate. Um, where was I even going with this? Oh, you sit doing whatever the hell you're doing. And like within an hour, it's like you've lost all that ground that you gained by uh, kind of stretching out. So even when you're, and even when I'm sitting, I'm trying to, to sit up real straight with kind of the upper half of my body because even along my collarbone was getting tight because I realized how much I was hunching in every part of my body with my shoulders even which there's no reason that my shoulders need to be kind of hunched up like that so anyway we're making progress and it's like two steps forward one step back and that's fine and I will get there and you know in time no one will be the wiser no one will know any of this is going on under my clothes. And honestly, this body is going to look really great with clothes on. And I'm really hoping that I, f I eventually come to a place where I also like the way that it looks without clothes on. And I know that's the goal of my surgeon. And I know that that's what a lot of women... A lot of women who have had this procedure that I talk to, they feel really good in clothes and they feel really less confident, um, naked, essentially. And I feel like I've been given the best chance to feel good naked. And I'm going to do everything I can and take care of my body and take care of these scars and, and do what I can and just find a way to come to a point where I feel good about the way that I look without clothes on and that I understand that these scars are not anything to be ashamed of and in fact they should be worn with pride and understanding not only that it's a mark that you know you've beaten something you've as much as I don't really identify with that kind of language it's I've accomplished something. I had this surgery and I was scared out of my mind to have this surgery. I was so anxious to have this and now it's done. And I'm almost standing up straight and I could not imagine being here two weeks ago and now I am. And I think we none of us know what we're capable of until you're just faced with the fact that you have to do it. You just have to do it. And I think we can take that message going forward right now in this uncertainty around this virus, this COVID-19, this coronavirus, whatever you call it. Like a good Tolstoy character, it has several names. <laughs> this whole quarantining, this whole social distancing, all of the anxiety that comes around that, we can do it. We can get through it. And we can't see the other end of it yet, but we will get there. Because we always do. And 
I'll be damned if I made it <laughs> over the last year and a half to almost two years of treatment for cancer to let a goddamn virus be the end of me. So that's not going to happen. And I hope that doesn't happen for any of you either. <laughs> I think your odds are pretty good, but still, um, be careful. And please stop buying all the toilet paper. Like I've got six rolls and I'm hoping it gets me through the next couple of weeks and that things die down and I can get toilet paper. But like there's no toilet paper right now. Like I'm thinking what t-shirts do I like the least that I can cut up and use for like, like I'm thinking ahead, but oh my God. I The horde, every man for himself. Like can't we just all be in this together? I know there's a lot of people who who are not hoarding. And I just, I appreciate those people's selflessness and the idea that, you know, not everybody even has the means to buy a month's worth of anything at a time. And they don't have the money for that. And so I guess in terms of action items to address this, I would assess if you're someone who can work from home and is still making your paycheck think about the people who can't and look for ways to donate like um donate to your local food pantry just money if if money is something that's going to continue to flow into your household i would encourage you within your means and if you want to i mean you don't have to do anything you don't have to listen to me I'm not anybody, but something that I feel is my responsibility since I get paid to not work right now, I'm going to look for ways to to donate money to people who that's just not feasible for them. A lot of people in the service industry, our population experiencing homelessness, you know, they're at such an increased risk and their services are dwindling because of this social distancing, because of all of these charities that aren't running or are have a skeleton crew because people are trying to be responsible. So anyway, the world is not ending. We are all going to get through this together. I'm doing fine. Um, and we'll see what the next couple of weeks brings. But for now, this is what I've got for you. And as soon as I figure out how to record a podcast over Skype, we will get another one out to you. I just, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> but I'm going to learn and I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen so that you have something to listen to as you're quarantining yourself. I mean... What a romantic view I have of my own agency in this world that anyone is like sitting at home just waiting for another one of my podcasts to drop. Don't burst my bubble, people. Let me have this reality that I'm living in for a little while longer. I mean, I'm still post-op, okay? I'm not doing that great. But I am. I'm doing pretty good. And I just, I feel okay. And I feel like everything's going to be okay. So be sensible. Stay away from people. (laughs) 
wash your hands, don't touch your face. And if you've got some money that you can part with, then do it. That's all I've got. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.